it's gone. It's a grand slam. And that's the ball game. This is the Prospects Baseball Show, your inside look at the boys and girls of summer. Here's your hosts, Dean Millard and Jordan Blundell. Hello there, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, depending on when it is that are you that you are listening to this. I'm just glad you have joined us. It's a big day for us. It's episode 40. We have turned 40 episodes here on the Prospects Baseball Show. So we're, we're really excited to celebrate as I bring in uh, my good friend and co-host and the head coach and the AGM of the Edmonton Prospects, Jordan Glendale. Happy 40th episode and, and happy one year. We just passed... Uh, yesterday, I believe it was, uh, the one-year anniversary of this podcast. It's a, it's a milestone episode today. Buenos tardes, Dino. Uh, it's uh, good afternoon. And yeah, man, 40 episodes. Awesome. It's, and it's a year. It's been about a year, right? It's Yesterday was the one-year anniversary. Today uh, was is a year ago today. You guys were opening the season. Pretty cool, dude. Yeah. So... I mean, 40 Just years old. What kind of, yeah, 40 years old. Or 40 episodes old. Yeah. So 40 yeah, episodes. Yeah. <laughs> hey, if we're still doing this in 40 years, man, that'd be something, eh? Oh my goodness. You, you I, I would love for us uh, to be doing this uh, for 40 years. And, and you know what's going to happen in 40 years? Jim Crane is still going to think they didn't do anything wrong. I don't think it taints it. Jim Crane still doesn't think that they've uh, tainted uh, the World Series, but 40 episodes for us. Huge. That's huge. 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 It's huge. I'm, I'm going crazy with the buttons today. So I love it. I love uh, it. What, what's been going on for you as far as uh, people are starting to get a little bit more active? Uh, how are you doing with this? Well, uh, you know, considering Saturday was the home opener and Sunday was 25 degrees and sunny and everybody got sunburned outside that was hanging out outside yesterday in the greater metro area and just thinking back to last year's home opener crowd of 3,000 people and yeah we probably would have had a pretty fun weekend at uh, Remax Field so a little bit of a bummer but um, you know it is what it is obviously and uh, kind of moved on from, from that being something to be sad about uh, but it would have been cool other than that, I think we're getting closer to seeing some uh, return to train protocols be put in place uh, at the Alberta level for baseball. Um, I know Baseball Alberta is working on um, some planning. Um, you know, it's one of those things that you're never gonna you're never gonna please everyone. Um, you know, you, the game's been taken away, and, and you know, people are obviously chomping at the bit to be allowed to get back to playing. It's nice weather, obviously. You know, nice weather, baseball, let's get out there. Uh, but we are still in the pandemic, so I know baseball is working hard to um, dot all the I's and cross all the teeth and make it as safe and, and cover every possible situation that may come up um, as we look to get this slowly reopened to train. Um, I, I don't know if there's going to be any youth baseball games played this summer. Uh, they're gonna, it, it's going to be, you know, walk before you can run. And 
the training in groups of four or five, one coach, you know, maybe two coaches, eight players spread out on the field. Like they're looking at finding ways to make that work as far as AHS regulations are concerned. So that's coming up this week. I know that uh, everything's fluid there at the baseball Alberta level, which is youth baseball. Uh, I know that's a little bit different than the WCBL. So a letter listeners know that there, there is a meeting happening on Wednesday. Um, we, we have not canceled the season. Um, we are aware that it doesn't look good to have a season. Um, but we also um, are working on every possible angle um, as, a, as a group of teams, as, as franchises. I know the board of governors, everybody's trying to do their best to stay optimistic too. So um, there'll probably be some news that comes out of that uh, meeting on Wednesday. I don't know when that would be announced. Um, and so that's kind of that's kind of the scene in Alberta baseball right now, Dino. All right, so we have our fingers crossed, and uh, as you mentioned, the nice weather makes us all want to get out and enjoy it. Um, you know, I'm still, um, you know, I'm I'm still in the uh, uh, cautiously optimistic uh, group, I guess you might say, where you know I'm I'm willing to go out and and you know hang out with uh, some friends. I'm I'm not quite yet at restaurant mode. Uh, or pack the park uh, in Toronto as they were over the weekend. So I'm, I'm still a little bit concerned, but you know, I am, you know, I am, I am being entertained. I just watched the Dodgers eliminate the nationals in three straight on MLB, the show um, in the, in the franchise mode. So I'm happy about that, that the, the uh, 2019 playoff didn't repeat. And, and here's, I'm not even playing the games. I'm just watching them because when I play, I suck. And like Clayton Kershaw has a bad game. So I just let the computer play the games. And I'm watching a Dodger season, but you know, like I want to see live sports, man. I, I watched the Korean baseball league the other day. So uh, we'll get into that as we go, but here's what we have uh, on the program today. Brent Parker, uh, he's going to join us. Uh, his family owned the Calgary cannons among a whole bunch of other sports teams, a Kansas city blades hockey team, Regina Pats. Um, they, they have had some uh, rookie baseball affiliation with the Expos. So we're going to get his thoughts on, you know, pro baseball in Canada and in Alberta, but he's also got some incredible stories of some hall of famers that he was able to rub shoulders and hang out with as a kid. I mean, the names that uh, Brent Parker was able to bring up a pretty impressive list. Hey dude. Oh man. Like that, that's the beauty of having that, that level of, of program in your city. And you know, that was a long time ago. Uh, but, but man, like Boone and A-Rod and Edgar Martinez and Omar Vizquel and Tino Martinez, it was funny that he, he mentioned that they probably didn't have a ton of top arms uh, come through there. And, you know, maybe that was a, an issue with the big club at times too. But he also made another point that probably makes a lot of sense here is that, you know, they were keeping some of their top arms, top pitching prospects in double A in the warm weather in Chattanooga right. down south. Um, and so there was definitely some strategy there. And that was what the, the AAA was known for that. And that, that wasn't just uh, Calgary and Edmonton that, that went through that. Um, you know, a lot of times, like, top arms would, would have a shot to go from AA to the big league. Um, and AAA was, you know, always known as more of a, a hitting friendly, maybe pitchers on their way down and some hitters on their way up. Uh, kind of meet in the crossroads, and, and your numbers should be decent in, in AAA if you're if you're a you know, projectable big league hitter. So there was there's something to that, but <laughs> it's a little bit funny that 
you know, maybe they're a little bit shorter on arms at times during the Yeah, some great stories. And, and it is interesting. Uh, you know, it makes sense that they would keep uh, pitchers, especially in uh, warmer weather. So we're going to chat about the uh, REMAX field decision that seemingly came out of left field. Our top five today is uh, home run derby contestants we would like to see go right now. We saw Tiger and Phil and Brady and Peyton go yesterday in uh, the match, which which I enjoyed, even though the weather wasn't great and they had some kinks with the broadcast. I still enjoyed it. So we're going to ask you uh, for your top five home run derby candidates, and uh, you can always get in touch with us at EDM Prospects or prospectsbaseballclub.com, and you can reach us here on the show at Prospects Pod, and you can find out more episodes at www.prospectsbaseballshow.com. Dot CA, but let's get into it right now and go around the horn. Hey, bada, 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 swing, bada. God, I'm looking at the curveball. Let's go around the horn and get the big news in baseball. Okay, so uh, obviously uh, the uh, the big news uh, for local uh, baseball fans is uh, what happened uh, last week with Remax Field and the uh, city of Edmonton. And uh, Jordan, I know that you guys are looking ahead to Spruce Grove, and we'll get into that in a second. But uh, I guess initial reaction when you heard the news, uh, did it did it feel like you were blindsided a bit? Uh, maybe maybe timing-wise, um, as far as this potentially happening. No, I mean, we've, we've spent a good portion of the last like two two years my my whole time with this organization uh from when i came back to edmonton uh from from vancouver Island university and what what i was doing in the memo um it's, it's just been one thing after the other with uh when we first launched the crown jewel of the river valley campaign marketing campaign um in 2017 rolling in through christmas to 2018 was because of the river crossing development plans which we were super pumped about but initially some of those plans did not include ballpark um and and there was no guarantee that the plan they chose would include the ballpark and you know we recognized that as being sad and a threat for our business so um you know we went after uh you know kind of tugging on the heartstrings and they got the message out and, and made sure people understood that this river crossing development is, is happening and this is the potential. And so, so in, in our mind, in my mind, I'll, I'll speak for myself. In my opinion, I feel like we were successful in that campaign because when they did um, unveil, you know, four or five potential plans and development plans for the river crossing, when the city finally unveiled those, they all included the ballpark. And that's not what was being talked about initially. So um, that's a big success. And, and for me, being from Edmonton, um, I love Edmonton. Uh, I'm an Edmontonian through and through. I was born here. I've lived all over Canada. I came back here. Um, when I was in Nanaimo, if you ask any of my buddies out there, uh, nobody beats the drum of Edmonton as awesome more than I did in the enemy's lair. Uh, yeah, so it's a bit sad to uh, you know, kind of get into your question of what's going on with Remax Field, but um, not blindsided. Um, Timing-wise, you know, didn't realize that it was going to happen then, but, um, you know, wish that group the best. Um, yeah, you know, it's, uh, it is what it is. It's a breakup, I guess, and, and you know, some people think we did a great job. Some people will say we didn't do a great job. 
Um, I know the amount of effort that was put in uh, by our managing partner, Pat Cassidy, and, and my coworkers, and how much we worked to keep that ballpark there, to make it viable, to bring in other events. I mean, shoot, we had over, I think it was 112 events in there last year, some bigger than others, uh, but a rental is a rental. Um, you know, we, we did what we could. And, and some of the some of the issues that, that I found uh, as I took on some of the bookings and, and some of that was, you know, not my responsibility, but as part of being AGM, you know, take out potential customers and people that were interested in the ballpark. And you know, a lot of times uh, the cost to rent that facility was, uh, prohibitive for teams, for youth baseball teams. And, and, you know, we were set on guidelines provided to us by the city of Edmonton on what we should be charging. Um, just because they have other facilities like John Fry that's not quite as expensive and Remax Field being what it is, as a, a facility of that size and stature and nature, you know, cost more. And, and high school teams, junior high teams couldn't, couldn't afford it per hour rate and that's with us cutting them a deal so um you know i wish the group this group coming in but that's the luck you know if they're able to subsidize those rates they'll get more people in there no doubt um you know i worked hard with people in all these organizations that you know i have a contact in every one of them and they just didn't afford to do it and so that was you know disheartening that we couldn't get more of those you know, baseball groups in there, but some groups could afford to do it. And, uh, you know, we were able to have a ton of baseball groups at our games, which was great. You know, we had teams on field all the time. We had teams during pre, pre-game camp. So before our game, we'd have teams in Youngfield and in the cage for an hour working with our guys. And, you know, we found ways to connect with, with baseball players, uh, you know, boys and girls outside of, you know, them just renting the field and being in there by themselves. So, um, yeah, like I said, I hope this the, the new group's got some interesting ways to, to see what they're going to do. I mean, they said they're going to have more people in there and, and uh, you know, wish them the best. Okay, so, yeah, yeah it's, uh, it's disappointing, and we don't know what team is going to occupy that, but we do know that in a couple of years, you guys will be in Spruce Grove. Pat Cassidy, uh, the own team owner, talked to me last week and has been – uh, making the media rounds about uh, building this new stadium. And, and uh, you know, as sad as, as it is to say goodbye to such a um, historic landmark and of uh, your home, it's really exciting to have the opportunity to build something from the ground up. I mean, remember when we talked to the guys in Sylvan Lake about this idea? Now you, uh, you know, have, this, you know, in the back of your mind, that was probably a, a thought, but now you get to, it's like Sim City Baseball Stadium here in Spruce Grove. Yeah, no doubt. Sim City was such a great game. And, and you're right. And, um, you know, we've been working on this plan, prototype, uh, the idea since, you know, since I got here. You know, we talked about it. But, you know, really started kind of kicking that discussion up to, in September um, and went out to Spruce Grove, spent some time out there. I met with some, some city officials and, and just, you know, to, to talk vision and ideas. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, uh, this project is something that I think that uh, Pat's got experience in himself. Um, we've got some, some other people involved in our organization that 
view this as just an unbelievable opportunity for for them as businessmen and women, as well as for the the city of Spruce Grove and, and Parkland County, and and because they're from out there, some of the people involved in, in our business, and, um, you know, to to feel their enthusiasm for this project, um, you know, it's contagious. Uh, I, I love that energy. It makes me really excited. Uh, and exactly like you said, you know, like we talked to Keel um, down at Sylvan, um, you know, on the show about their project and, and how exciting that is and all the, the little things that you need to go through building the ballpark and you know, where's the clubhouse, where, where, where all the seats at, you know, where's the berm, where's the patio area, you know, how many bathrooms are in there, you know. Solid gold finishing on all the bathrooms, obviously, in the home club halls. And like, all those little things. That, Where's the podcast um, studio? Yeah, the podcast studio and, and you know, the yoga room and, and all those kind of things. I mean, yeah, you can, you can get get away from yourself a little bit in the excitement. But, you know, at the end of the day, Bruce uh, Grove, uh, I, I, I'm from Edmonton. I've spent a lot of time with Bruce Grove personally. I, I played out there when I was younger. Um, I, I was fortunate enough to coach a really good group of kids in, in Battle Triple A. I think it was twenty twelve. It, it was a while ago now, but um, you know, we we lost in the provincial final. We had a great run. We represented uh, Alberta in the Western, didn't get to the nationals. And I met a lot of people out there and like I said, I played out there and, and you know Sushro's not that far from here and uh, the type of minor baseball organization they've been able to build out there is obviously for a college baseball recruiter myself and uh, being aware of the team is, is kind of what the deal is just knowing where they've taken that to and um you know and i'm fortunate enough to know a lot of good people out there too and they just so happen to be you know passionate about baseball so you put all that together um you, know, you, you make this you put this ballpark and this development in, in a place that's growing with young families um, that are, are supportive of their their area, Parkland County. It's, it's a big family out there. Um, you know what I know about Parkland County, man, is, is they like country music, and, and I love country music at the ballpark. So if if that doesn't say this is gonna this is gonna be great, then I don't know what does. All right. Uh, apologies to our non-country music fans like me, uh, but uh, if it makes better baseball, it makes better baseball. That's all I care about. So I'm looking forward uh, to that down the road and, and you guys announcing um, you know plans in the future uh, with the league, as you mentioned, uh, having a meeting uh, later this week. Let's chat quickly about what might happen in Major League Baseball. Uh, the PA uh, might be into something along the lines of prorated deferred payments, like the Bobby Bonilla, yeah. right? Uh, who, who gets paid every every Canada Day by the Mets. I mean, this might be the only way that they can come to an agreement. Uh, 29 out of 30 Major League Baseball teams made money last year. The players are saying, listen, you guys can afford to uh, take a hit more than we can collectively. No doubt. Um I know we, we, we chatted about this a little bit before, uh, Dino. And, and so initially there, there was some talk about 50, 50 and, and split, split everything revenue wise, similar to the way of the NHL operates. Um, and, and there was, you know, some, <laughs> some backlash from the players. Um, they didn't receive that idea so well. And, and it is, uh, it's an idea on the form of the cap and, and MLB is, as, 
canceled. They, they've gone on strike to prevent that word from being associated with their sport. Um, and they have a fairly strong union. So um, I viewed that as going to be difficult uh, to uh, maybe not insurmountable. But it was going to be a difficult thing to overcome with, with this, this cap idea. And so now that you, you mentioned the PA has come out with deferred salaries based on prorated uh, paychecks, uh, there, there's, that's why they're the best union uh, in pro sports. You know, right there is that makes a lot of sense. Um, these franchises are worth um, upwards of a billion dollars. Um, it, I remember, you know, real quick, I remember when I was a kid, like I thought a billion was, was made up. I thought it was a joke when, when I was 10 years old. Like a million dollars seemed so large and, and a billion was just, a word that was made up by my friend with a different letter than the M million, and you couldn't even fathom what that is. And that's what these baseball franchises are worth a billion dollars. So, um, in my opinion, the owners are the group that probably needs to um, sacrifice here if they want to get get some get some games done. And this makes a lot of sense from the CA, the the prorated um, 80, 82 games or whatever they get in eighty one games. Um, so they'll be prorated off their 162 game paycheck. So it'll be half, and then be prorated, and then deferred payments for the bigger contracts. So you know, a guy like Bryce Harper making 30 plus mil, um, you know, he's going to be able to collect that money later on uh, once everything kicks back up, and the owners are all making money. Like you said, 29 to 30 made money last year. Um, makes a lot of sense. So we'll see where this goes. What What are your thoughts on the? the the pro-rated deferred idea. Yeah, I, I think it's smart. Um, you know, I think the owners are still going to grumble about it, but uh, th- there is, um, listen, the owners make their revenue at the gate on only 40%. And, and I'm not, and 40% is still a lot, but I'm saying 60% of their revenue comes from, you know, not ticket sales. And now there's some concessions and stuff. Um, but what, like, I think the owners still have a TV deal that's going to pay the money during these games. So they're, they're going to make less just like the players are. If you want to spread it out, as long as we get some baseball and it's safe to play. Um, uh, I think that's the only way that this is going to happen because you know, the, the players don't want a, you know, uh, uh, revenue sharing or a, or a cap and, and, and the owners, um, they don't want to pay. A, they're not paying 162 games, so there, there has to be some sort of give on both sides, and, and hopefully there's an, an announcement soon. But until then, we do have the KBO, uh, the Korean Baseball Organization. <laughs> uh, I watched a little bit of this the other day, and um, from you know, like the 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 biggest difference for me is the pitching isn't quite as good. Uh, like there's still some fast runners. There's still some great fielding plays. Uh, there's some bombs. Uh, but maybe, uh, you know, like uh, I'm, I'm watching 92 David Cohn on one of my TVs right now. It's not exactly 92 David Cohn against the Braves in the KBO, but it is still entertaining baseball. The weird thing about it for me, Jordan, is why they have like mascots and cheerleaders and, and all these weird things going on when there's no fans. It's a weird thing to watch uh, a person trying to get no fans pumped up for a game. Well, I'll, I'm in a, I'm in a, this is breaking news. We're going to break some news right now. On okay. This show, is that, um, if you're a ball player, um, you are not locked into that baseball game for the entirety of that game. And your eyes are going to wander into the stands, you know, and the fact that they've got some cheerleaders out there for the fellas, 
Um, you know, they're, they're constantly, don't get me wrong, they're professionals, they're focused, uh, but they're minding the wander every once in a while. So, <laughs> you know, it makes a lot of sense that the KBO has thought of everything here and, and find some cheerleaders for, for the fellas to enjoy their performances, you know, in between pitches and, and kind of get their mind right and get focused on the next pitch. <laughs> All right, uh, but the baseball is not bad, though. Uh, you know, it's yeah. it's it's fun to watch baseball, and you know, they the 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 uh, the guy and the gal doing the broadcast on ESPN that I saw, um, they had Eric Thames on, uh, who played over there and was like just an absolute stud. Uh, so they've they've worked in a few interviews with guys that have played over there. So uh, I, I've I, I've enjoyed just watching a baseball game that I don't know the outcome of. Yeah, it's been good. Uh, the other day, so. I was flipping channels, uh, I guess it was Saturday, and, and you know, I had the, the guide on, and uh, down at 183, I've got the Shaw uh, channel system, so if you're a Telus person, you may not know what I'm talking about, but uh, it, li- it listened to be announced uh, on the guide, and you know, sometimes, when I see that, you know, sometimes I'm going to click on it, I don't know, yeah. but this is one of the times where I wonder what, they, what they're going to announce, I wonder what's on this channel, so I, you know, I clicked on it, and it was KBOs in the third inning. I was like, yeah, this is perfect. Great. So I spent some of my Saturday watching the KBO. So that was my experience with, with the KBO. And, um, the, the, the real great thing about baseball, and I figured this out the other day, I, I'm watching it at home. Uh, I figured this out on Saturday. Was, um, there was an 18-year-old on the mound for, for one of the teams. And, you know, he's like the youngest guy in the league. And, and it's, it's crazy that he's in the league. And so, you know, he strikes the first guy. He's got pretty good split fingertips. Uh, okay, so this is cool. And I'm interested because he's young and they're talking about him. I'm like, yeah, that's, that's pretty cool that he's in this league. Strikes a little guy, you know, gets into trouble, a single, single double walk. Anyway, the bases end up being loaded. I think there's one out. So there is one out. Bases are loaded. And I'm here listening to the announcers. And this is why, this is, this is what I figured out is why I love baseball on TV. If the announcers were talking about, you know, throwing this guy a fastball. And I'm, I was doing the dishes, listening to the game. And I'm, I'm saying to myself, they better not throw this guy a fastball. I said, better to go one out here. Can, <laughs> don't throw this guy a fastball right now. And it's not like, you know, it was our second baseman. He's a good player. It's not like you were facing Barry Bonds where you definitely don't throw a fastball. But I'm just thinking, I was reacting to what the announcers were saying. But no, don't throw this guy a fastball. You know, first pitch, throws him a fastball at 89 miles an hour, dude hits a grand slam. <laughs> and, and I'm like, that's why I love baseball. I, mean, I got I to gotta disagree with the announcers. You know, I got to be playing the game strategically in my own head. Um, yeah, so that, that brought back some, some good memories of the sport of baseball. And, and uh, I'm like, you do, I can't wait until we get to see something that we don't know the score of here soon. Well, until then, we just have to deal with past history, and that's where we'll go now is to a history class as uh, this day in Major League Baseball. Uh, Miguel Tejada born on this day in 1974, one year older than me, and for about a six-year stretch, he was the best uh, hitting shortstop in baseball, wasn't he? Uh, yeah, and uh, he was really good. And I think for about a six-year stretch, he was actually it was thought that maybe he was a couple years younger than you. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, there was a, there was some debate about uh, his yeah. age, uh, but he was a fantasy stud for me. I I, I drafted him, Dude, and I yeah. was like, "You're you're getting forty home runs from this guy." Yeah, he he was he was fun to watch. I love the A's. I'm going to say it right now, like until the Expos come back, the A's are my favorite team. 
Yeah, a, a farm team at that point for everybody else because Tejada was good for them, and then he got too expensive, and they shipped him off to Baltimore, and that happened so many times. Just like the Expos, they're they're a mirror, they're almost a mirror image of the Expos. They totally are. They're playing in a rundown facility yeah, with yeah. some character. Yeah. They've got a great loyal fan base, great uniforms. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, they are the American. Is, they're the American League version of the of the Expos. Well, growing up, it was the Expos and A's for me, and. No, I mean, I, I like the Jays are on TV. I cheer for Canada. Like, there's that element, so it's kind of tough, but I love the Jays, man. All right, uh, a guy who made his debut on this day, uh, it, was, it was not bad, uh, was Willie Mays at Shy Park versus the Phillies. Um, do you know what Willie Mays, uh, you know, how many hits do you think Willie Mays got in his debut? Yeah, I'm, I'm guessing it's probably like a four for five day with a couple bombs. Oh, for five. Oh, for five. Okay. The say hey kid uh, was almost saying goodbye after uh, that one. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> not likely, but another guy who made his debut. I'm watching him right now on MLB The Show take on Mike Soroka and the uh, the Braves in the NLCS is Clayton Kershaw. Made his debut today for the Dodgers. Um, against the Cardinals, six innings, five hits, two earned. A walk and seven strikeouts for the for the victory for uh, Clayton Kershaw on this day. And a guy who has Edmonton roots played his final game on this day, Tommy John, who was the pitching coach. I actually hit B- BP off Tommy John uh, one time when he was here. Uh, he made his final game at Yankee Stadium versus the Angels. Five and a third, six hits, five runs, no walks, and one strikeout. Did not get the uh, decision. So Tommy John, legend for, uh, you know, he was a pretty good player in his day. You know, won some World Series with the Yankees, beat the Dodgers, and then became famous for his surgery and and played his final game on this day. That's pretty cool, man. And that's cool that you you took some BP off of uh, Tommy John. Yeah, that was really, really cool. Another guy who played his final game on this day, it was at Petco Park versus the Padres. He had one at bat. It was a pinch hit bat, and he went 0 for 1. And this guy was played perfectly in one of our favorite movies by Chris Pratt. How's the elbow, Scott? You know, it's good. It's really good. It's great. Uh, I can't throw the ball. No. Yeah. <laughs> you throwing your last ball from behind home plate is what I'd say. Well, good news is we want you at first. We want you to play first base for the Oakland A's. Okay, well, I've only ever played catcher. Scott, you're not a catcher anymore. If you were, our call wouldn't have been the only one you got when your contract expired. Yeah, hey, listen, no, I I appreciate it. You're welcome. But the thing, the thing is, is uh, you don't know how to play first base. Scott? That's right. It's not that hard, Scott. Tell him, Wash. It's incredibly hard. <laughs> hey, anything worth doing is, and we're going to teach you. Wait a minute here. I mean, what, what about uh, you? Jason's gone, Scott. Giambi, you want me to take Giambi's spot at first base? Yeah. What about the fans? Yeah, maybe I can teach one of them. The fans do it. Good one. That is what maybe one of the funniest scenes <laughs> in Moneyball, isn't it? Yeah, that's a great movie, dude. Yeah, that scene is awesome. Chris Pratt <laughs> does a great job of kind of playing the was like a little bit dumbfounded about it too. It's great. Yeah, I I tried to find more of uh, 
the back and forth between Brad Pitt and Philip Seymour Hoffman as Art Howe, who, by the way, is home from hospital after uh, suffering uh, from COVID-19. So good to, good news for Art Howe. But um, remember what it just Hatterberg. You can't play Hatterberg. Why? I, the lineup is mine. That's fine. But we just traded Hatterberg. Like the, this, this, yeah. the, the back and forth was was so good. So I had to throw in the Hatterberg clip because that was uh, just uh, such a great one. So as for actual events on this day, um, this is kind of interesting. 1919, Casey Stengel, traded by the Dodgers in the offseason to the Pirates, calls time, steps out of the batter's box to give the rousing Ebbets Field fans the bird. <laughs> Not what you think, though. The Pittsburgh right fielder takes his hat off, allowing a sparrow to fly out, much to the amazement and amusement of the, the fans. Can you imagine if one of your players went up with a bird in his hat? A true born entertainer. Oh, yeah. Casey Stengel, for sure. Uh, 1922, uh, he was called out for trying to stretch a single into a double. Babe Ruth throws dirt in the umpire's eye, then goes after a heckler in the stands and finishes tirade by standing on the dugout roof, calling the crowd yellow cowards. He gets a one-game suspension and a $200 fine, and it cost the Bambino the captaincy of the Yankees. He held that position for less than a week, and they took it away from him after that. So the Babe went on a tyrant in 1922. <laughs> and 19... 19- uh-huh. 1935, again, Babe Ruth, this time with the Boston Braves as an outfielder, hits three homers and a single in an 11-7 loss to the Pirates in Pittsburgh. The Sultan of Swat's seventh inning solo shot of Gary Bush, his final and 714th home run on this day. Wow, yeah. Nice. That's cool, man. That's a good list of things that have happened on this day. Yeah, well, it gets better. 1941. 10-3 10-3 victory over New York at Yankee Stadium. Splendid splinter. Ted Williams goes four for five to raise his batting average to over 400 for the first time, and he obviously finished at 406. So he got above 400 early and then just kind of hovered around there, which I, I don't know how stressful that would have been because you know how easy it is for your batting average to drop, right? Uh, he got above 400. It was late May. Put it on cruise control the <laughs> the end of the season. Here's some CanCon for you. 82, Ferguson Jenkins reaches 3,000 strikeouts when he strikeouts Gary Templeton in the third frame. Next year, 39-year-old uh, Canadian finishes 19 major league career with a total of 3,192 Ks in uh, over 4,500 innings. I watched a cool documentary on Ferguson Jenkins. He was uh, like, uh, he needs to be celebrated more. I know we just got Larry Walker in the Hall of Fame, but uh, Ferguson Jenkins was an absolute stud. Yeah, he was good, man. He was really good. Okay, and this is the final one I'll give you for history. 1989, the Mariners trade their ace Mark Langston, along with minor leaguer Mike Campbell to the Expos for Brian Holman, Gene Harris, and some Uh-oh. six foot ten southpaw named Randy Johnson. Oops. One of Langston the uh, one of the more uh, you know, like Langston was good, but Johnson is a Hall of Famer. Yeah, yeah. Langston was good for the Expos at the time, and it took Randy a few more years to figure it out. So it, it, it was a throw in there, um, but you know, whew. <laughs> okay, I'm going to ask you this. I'm going to put you on the spot. 
your game seven of the World Series Montreal Expos. You can choose any pitcher from the Expos history to start that game for you. Is it Dennis Martinez? Is it Pedro? Is it Randy Johnson? Is it somebody else? Yeah, if we're going, like, we, we have to pick them at their very best, the peak peak of their ability, right? Um, <laughs> I mean, I love I love El Presidente, uh, but he, he, I can't pick him. So, unfortunately for Dennis Martinez, I can't go there as much as I love him. Pedro, uh, what was it, 2001, he had, like, 312 strikeouts, like, 11 locks. Um, for me, that's in, like, the top five seasons of all time. And I can't even believe I'm suggesting that I wouldn't take Brandy Johnson in this prime. Uh, this might be the toughest question anyone's ever asked me. Pedro at his peak versus Randy at his peak for the Expos. Game seven. I'm going with my boy Pedro. All right. I'm going with Randy Johnson. Power, left-handed, <laughs> intimidating. Although uh, Pedro can can do in a pinch if, uh, if a third base coach comes running at you. So... Uh, he can handle that. All right. We're going to talk with Brent Parker, whose family owned uh, the Calgary Cannons, among other sports teams. Uh, we're going to chat about uh, some memories, some great, great memories of some Hall of Fame players and the difficulties of pro baseball uh, in Canada in general. We're going to get to that conversation after we hear a short song from the artist Hats Off to Roy Halladay. Play on words uh, to the Led Zeppelin song Hats Off to Roy Harper. This is... The Gambler. Four thousand two hundred fifty-six. That's the number of people's hits in the Hall of Fame. That guy should be. He's got more hits than a great weight box. Rod Carew and the late I call All three Coopers Town inductees And though he ain't no stand-up guy The baseball numbers do not lie Yeah, well, Pete Rose, he's my man Charlie hustles in the garbage can pleased to have with us on the show today Brent Parker uh, a, a guy that I met back in uh, 2001 when uh, his Regina Pats were hosting the Memorial Cup I was covering it and um, I think we first met when I got locked out of the arena we were um, doing research in the uh, Blue Line Lounge that's what I called it and you had to you had to let us back into the arena to get our equipment, uh, or else we were like, we're not going to be able to do any work tomorrow or something. So, uh, great to have you on board. Uh, we've been uh, good friends ever since, and it's great to talk with you, Brent. Great to be here. Appreciate you having me. Happy to have you, man. Let's get on with this. Let's get it. 
You betcha. So Brent, we wanted to have you on because your uh, your family has a, a long history in uh, sports, and not just uh, with with hockey, where you had the Regina Pats and the and the Kansas City Blades, and but you guys uh, have had a long history with baseball uh, in Calgary specifically. You had the Cannons before that. You had uh, some, I think, uh, rookie ball. So uh, maybe just tell mm-hmm. me the 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 history of of your family and 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 baseball specifically. Well, it goes back even further than that when Dad was the commissioner of the of the Alberta Major Baseball League. But the year I was born in '65, he was he coached the Alberta Dodgers at that time to the to the Canadian Junior Baseball Championship, and then uh, and then I mean he was always a baseball fanatic, and then became the commissioner of the Alberta Major Baseball League, which was you know you had the Barhead Generals and Calgary Jimmies and Golden Spikes and. And some of those teams that we would be the Vauxhall Giants, and I mean, it seemed like every weekend we were off, uh, you know, off to a tournament uh, someplace for, uh, over the summer, and you know, the days were spent chasing foul balls for a nickel and and eating ballpark burgers and and just being around the ballpark. So I, mean, I grew up around it from really kind of five or six years old, and and then when we got the rookie league team, we had the rookie league teams for the Expos and Cardinals playing in the Pioneer League when, you know, Calgary, Lethbridge, Medicine Hat, and you had uh, Butte, Montana, and Great Falls Giants, and, and Billings, Billings was in the, in the league, and uh, I'm trying to think, Idaho Falls, and so that whole loop of, of teams, and so that was uh, uh, back in, I guess that would have been 70, 76, we had that, and then from there we, you know, Got the AAA team into Calgary, which we were with the Mariners for, it was 15, uh, 12 or 15 years. Gosh, I can't remember how many now, but it was a great affiliation and, and had great memories of the times with them. And and then we had uh, the White Sox and Marlins and, and Pirates after that. And some of those years I had, I had gone on and moved away with the hockey team and wasn't around for as much of those years, but through the years of the Mariners and um, there was there was a couple years there. I think we had as many as twenty three X cannons playing on, on the big league roster. So it was pretty neat to be able to watch those guys come through. And and uh, we all you know worked around the ballpark. My brothers were down. We all three of us went to the states to play college baseball. And two of them, my brothers were in California, and I went out. Uh, I played at the University of Arkansas in Little Rock, and and then uh, I came back and worked at the ballpark in the summer. Wow, uh, what a what a great uh, way to grow up and in such a an involved sports family. And you were telling us before uh, we went on air, um, you know, like through your travels and your family's travels, you have a picture with Mickey Mantle. Um, when you guys owned the Kansas City Blades, you would have uh, members of the Royals come to the games. I mean, um, the, the 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 players that you've been able to meet over the years has been uh, pretty legendary. T- tell us about the how how the Royals loved going to those Kansas City Blade games. Yeah, it was it was pretty interesting, and and uh, we had them and the Chiefs. There's about a dozen of them had season tickets behind our bench, and they they saying they were just ruthless on the visiting team. I mean, guys would get a penalty, and they'd be banging on the glass and yelling over the glass. And, and probably the loudest and most vocal was was Brett Saberhagen, I and mean, he's synonymous for, as being a practical joker and a real personality around the uh, the clubhouse. And, and you could see it certainly, you know, the, the way he was at the games, but just just a big time hockey fan and he'd come in his blades jersey every game and you know there'd be him and george brett was there quite a bit obviously his family owns the spokane chiefs in the western league and so he was a big hockey fan and and you had some other guys you know the dan felly moves from the chiefs and 
I'm not sure I'd be too crazy if I was sitting in the penalty box, turning around, banging on the glass, seeing 340-pound Ben Selly move standing there and 6'6", <laughs> six, six Brett Saberhagen and all these guys. That uh, It was pretty interesting. It was sort of the who's who of the sports world in Kansas City. That's amazing. It's a, it's a, it's an amazing blend of hockey and baseball and we're down in Kansas city and, and, uh, you know, fast forward, we get up to, we get up to Calgary, uh, you know, probably best known for hockey here in Alberta. And, and we're going to dive into the Calgary Cannons baseball franchise. We're going to keep blending this a little bit. Um, you, you get into Calgary, you got your family owns the Cannons and you have three home openers, no doubt. Yeah, Tell me a little was, bit about what that was like <laughs> for the players uh, dealing with snowed out situations. Some of those guys maybe never even snow. Well, the first year was was the funniest because so many of them. I mean, they're they're like, what on earth are we doing here? You know, they they are wondering, and you know, the field was actually in pretty good shape, all things considered. But, you know, they had obviously had to shovel it all off and get it ready, and guys were out having snowball fights in the outfield and. and I think it was about five degrees when we finally did end up playing a couple of days later. And, and yet we still had a good crowd. I mean, the city was ready for baseball and, you know, on a nice night, uh, there was nothing better. It became, became a staple of the entertainment scene in, in Calgary. Right. And, you know, but yeah, some of those nights, I mean, I think the worst one, and it wasn't even a home opener. We had a storm in May one year and, and I was working on the grounds crew at that time. And I remember it because we were working on the field and we were supposed to, supposed to play I think we were a day or two away from from playing and it's absolutely gorgeous morning cutting the grass cut it every day and you're out and I remember being out on the tractor and in shorts and and just enjoying a beautiful morning and then about 10 30 11 the wind kind of picked up and it got a little cooler and (laughs) I put the shirt on and and then threw on a sweatshirt and by two o'clock I'd thrown on my coveralls and by four o'clock we had snowflakes the size of my fist and by the next morning, we had about 35 centimeters of snow on on the ground, and I think we we had that night that we weren't playing it was the following day. So we had about 36 hours to uh, so we started you know shoveling the field off, and and it had got so warm afterwards, and it was in the middle of May. It was probably right about this time, and uh, uh, we were shoveling off, and then it got warm. So now we're out shoveling the field in shorts and no shirts on, and <laughs> everyone on the grounds crew was so burnt and had blisters on our shoulders because of the reflection off the snow and the, and the heat. And I mean, it just the extremes of, of what we went through. With. But uh, that was weather. I mean, that's the weather that they had to deal with. It was, it was really, at the end of the day, it was the demise of the franchise. Yeah, you, you know, that uh, sounds like that established a reputation right off the hop of, of what the weather could be like in Calgary. And um, you know, what was it being like? You know, what was it? like being a Canadian team with predominantly American teams and owners and players? Well, I always used to use a line with the guys because they'd start pitching a lot when it, you know, when it got cold and I'd always make sure that I knew what the temperatures were in Cleveland or in New York or Boston. <laughs> so that when the guys bitched, I'd say, you know what, it's actually warmer here tonight than it is in Cleveland. I said, the only difference for you is this is minor league cold versus major league cold. Yeah, and that right. would usually, that would usually shut them up fairly quickly. Um, because it was true, you know, they just wanted to bellyache. And then there was guys that, that just didn't bitch, didn't complain, just went about their business. And the one that comes to mind right off the hop was a guy like Edgar Martinez. And he just went about his business, didn't care if it was two degrees or 22 degrees. He just came out, got his work in, 
put in his time. And so it was, you know, you'd get some guys that belly ached a little bit about, you know, being in a Canadian city. But I think once they got there and saw how well they were treated and how well their families were looked after, you know, everything from passes to the zoo to stampede passes to movie theaters. I mean, I would, I'd get up early and take guys fly fishing bright and early in the morning and then get back to work. And my dad had, but not, not that that was a real chore. I didn't ever mind having <laughs> to do that, but, but, uh, you know, my dad was taking guys out golfing all the time. And so they were really, really well looked after. And I think once they got there and realized that, uh, um, you know, on the field, it's the plane surface in Calgary guys, used to tell us the major league uh, coordinators that used to come in to tell us all the time, the playing surface was as good as any major league ballpark anywhere. So the guys enjoyed playing there from that aspect, but you know, those nights when the wind would start howling off the mountains in late April and it was, you know, three degrees and you had the heaters going in the dugouts. There was a lot of, a lot of unhappy minor leaguers at that time. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, but, you know, those uh, summer nights can sometimes make up for it. So weather was uh, obviously uh, uh, challenging. Um, what were some of the other major obstacles operating a pro baseball team in Calgary that obviously, uh, you know, eventually um, your, your family had to say, yeah, we can't do it anymore. What were some of the major challenges that you guys went through? Well, the weather led into the other things, right? Because you had... Um, you know, we didn't have any other revenue streams. We didn't have a restaurant at the, at the ballpark. We didn't have any suites. We didn't have those opportunities to create additional revenue that allowed you to offset those nights that, that you had rainouts or snowouts or whatever. And, and we had one year where we lost 11 games in the first half of the season to weather. Well, you never make that up. You know, you might make the games up to play a doubleheader or sometimes you might get lucky and play a split doubleheader where you get the second gate, but it's never what it would have been. So, those were always the biggest challenges and, and, um, you know, our ballpark amenities in the ballpark weren't great as much as we, you know, we put a lot of money into it. Um, the family did, Russ and Diane put a ton of money into the, into that facility of their own money, uh, even though it was a city run city run facility and, and they just couldn't do it anymore. It got to the point where we had to, you know, we needed a ballpark and, uh, uh, there was a point where, you know, Russ even offered, he said, look, we, we had some land that was already zoned for a baseball stadium right down where old Mawada Stadium was, where the Stampeders used to play years and years ago, where the uh, uh, the planetarium is, <clears throat> down on the river, great access north and south. And, and Russ even said, look, lease us the land for a dollar, we'll build the stadium and we'll manage it. And the you know, city still wouldn't do it. And so if you get to that point where you realize, okay, you know, maybe they're not really that keen on having a, having a team and, and uh, got to the point where uh, it was just, it just was too hard, you know, and then the major league teams, when you don't have all the, the right amenities and they're not crazy about having their, you know, their, especially pitchers, their, their, their big prospects, they would a lot of times for us, they'd throw them in double A because their double A team at the Mariners was down in Chattanooga. Tennessee, well, it's a little warmer in Chattanooga in April than it is in Calgary. And they're not quite as worried about guys stressing their arms out. And so they were always a little cautious about uh, about that. And and uh, so that led to it as well. And, you know, even the altitude with the, the way the ball flew out of the ballpark, it inflated some numbers. So they were always wondering how, you know, get a real good read on guys. Is, is the number, are they inflated or... So it was, you know, it was a whole bunch of things. Obviously, travel was a challenge. It made it easier when you had Calgary, Edmonton, and Vancouver there because at least teams could come up and do a little bit of a loop. Um, but it was, it was, 
there were some challenges for sure. You mentioned, um, you know, the negotiations, I guess, uh, what they might be with, you know, dealing with a, a city council and, you know, Jordan and the prospects have gone through that. They put together their own 10 year, uh, lease bid with, uh, you know, college baseball, as opposed to, you know, trying to make pro baseball work, uh, here in the city where you just laid out uh, a lot of those, uh, uh, hurdles that, that sometimes are, are just totally out of your control. I mean, you can get all the fans you want, but if you're not playing games because the weather isn't good, it doesn't really matter. What yeah. what was it like, or, or you know, and you you've d- done it to, in the past with uh, the Regina Pats and stuff. You know, how difficult can it be dealing with uh, a city council sometimes when you're trying to, um, you know, add to the entertainment value of that city? Sports franchises can't be a tenant. If you're in a tenant landlord relationship, it's going to fail. It, it just has zero chance to succeed. You have to have a partnership where there's some shared revenues on, on signage or advertising or gate revenue, or there has to be uh, you know, a win on both sides, the, the landlord or city or, or exhibition association or what have you. They, you know, they have to become viable too. They're a business, uh, but it has to uh, work both ways. And you can't, you can't make it where the sports team is, um, unable to have success. If it can't survive, you know, you're losing 40 or 50 dates, whatever the schedule is for whatever the chosen sport is. And if you don't have those dates, you lose all your infrastructure for your facility. You can't have concession people. You don't have enough people to, <clears throat> to operate your concessions or run the facility for the night so that, that you are operating because those people aren't going to work there based on having 30 nights a year to work. You know, they need those are a lot of, in a lot of cases, part-time jobs. In some cases, they're full. They're the, they're the primary source of income for people, and they need, you know, a hundred nights. They need to work all of the, you know, the Oilers games and the Oil King games and the concerts and all those things. That, you know, in the new facility there, or, you know, the ballpark. You know, depending on how many home games you've got, they need to work all of those. So you don't have you don't have those. You don't have an infrastructure to run your facility as well. So it, it has to be a a win-win situation for everybody. And if you get into a situation where all the risk is on the, the team, uh, it, it has zero chance to, to be long-term successful. Yeah, you know, I can definitely relate to uh, some of those issues that, uh, that you've mentioned, Brent. And, um, you know, hopefully onward and upward for us, we're looking at a situation in, in Spruce Grove and um, hopefully be able to, kind of design our own thing and, and work hand in hand with the city on some ideas and, and really be our own tenant at that point and, and hopefully uh, be able to develop something really good for that community that's uh, you know, going to be around for forever or for the foreseeable future and can be a real staple uh, for a summertime little fair. Um, well, I think a great community, right? I mean, it's, yeah. I saw some of those comments reading up a little bit on it this morning and, and uh, you know, I think you're bang on with, your comments about what very similar to what Okotoks has done with, with the dogs. Right. And, um, you know, my nephew plays junior hockey in, in Okotoks and it's a great sports town, great little community. And I think Spruce Grove is very similar in its relationship to Edmonton and, and what it could be. And it, be, you know, it comes with a sense of pride for the community that it's their team. It's not a, it's not another Edmonton team. It's theirs. And, uh, I think you guys got a real chance to, to do something exactly what you're saying, something special, something unique, and, and that the people at Spruce Grove can call their own and be proud of. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, you know, and, and kind of talking about being at the mercy of the big club, 
Uh, when you're in the, in, in the AAA game in Calgary, uh, I got a story here that Seattle called up the guy that you guys wanted to start in in the fifth and final game. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Oh, God, you're really digging the knife in on that one. <laughs> <laughs> I, I tried to file that one away permanently, and then you drag it back out right into the forefront. Yeah, Mike, Mike Campbell, he was 15-2 and two for us, if I remember right that year. He was, he was our ace. And uh, going into game five, and, and they, they, we get the call that uh, they need him to pitch that night in Seattle. Someone was sick, or, and we begged. It was like, and even he was saying he didn't want to go, that he wasn't going to go. Well, he's contractually obligated, obviously, and and didn't want to go, and but, but had to. They got him on a flight, and so we you know, end up starting someone else and then, you know, we end up losing game five, but the kicker of it was he didn't even pitch that night. He got there. What? And the guy that had been sick, um, was, ended up being okay. And they ended up playing him. He ended up sitting in the bullpen all night. They ended up not even activating him. So he didn't even, didn't even play. So that made it even, uh, made it even worse. But yeah, that's the, the mercy of being the minor league club, right? They call guys up whenever and, can be September one with the call ups, and you know you can be in the thick of it, and and they're in the thick of it. Well, their their race, their playoff race matters more than yours. Mm-hmm. So they all call guys up, and that's just the way it is. And uh, so it's it's tough, you know, over the years to see guys go up, and even during the course of the year that you see guys go up, and you know you've got a good ball club, and um, there's just nothing you can do about it. You wish them well, and. and uh, I hope they go up there and do well, but uh, it is a kick when they leave. Yeah, it's a double-edged sword. You're you're really happy that you're you're producing players for the big club and they're getting recognized, but maybe maybe they could have waited one day for you guys to yeah, yeah. Uh, to win a title. So you had the Mariners, you had the Pirates, the White Sox, and I think the Marlins. Um, was yeah. was one better or or worse than the than the rest, or you know were they all pretty consistent? Mariners were were by far the best. We were with them for a long time, and it was it was just a perfect marriage. I mean, it was an easy flight to Seattle, right? It was a hour and forty five minute flight, hour and a half flight, whatever, from Calgary. So easy access. Um, you know, they they just seemed to like uh, what what we were doing with their guys and how we treated their their prospects and players. It just it just developed into a real good relationship. And, um, you know, I know when. Whenever Dad would go down to Seattle, or we'd go down to see some games, Mom and Dad would go, and geez, I mean, they treated him like gold. He was down on the field always before the games, and and uh, you know, the guys were all coming over, and and uh, you know, they'd come up, give him a big hug, and I mean, guys didn't didn't treat your AAA owners that way, right? It was just, but Russ was always around, and and was a good ball player in his own right. So he, you know, he talked ball, and he'd go in, and he didn't try to wasn't a blowhard in terms of with the players. He could go in and, and have conversations with them. And, and um, you know, it's uh, it's pretty neat to, you know, to watch him, but the relationship that over the years, that, you know, he's got a, he's got a great picture in his basement of, of, of him and with uh, Danny Tartable, Johnny Moses, and Harold Reynolds when they were all with the Mariners down on, on the field. And I can't remember where it was at, but it was a road game because they were wearing those powder blue uh uniforms that the Mariners used to wear and that's just you know it's a great shot and yeah I mean some of the guys that went through with the Mariners I just think that's the biggest thing for me as you look you know our starting infield one year we had uh, Edgar at third Omar Vizquel at short Brett Boone at second and Tina Martinez at first wow holy man starting infield one year so you know we had 
you know, Danny Tartable went through. and We never had a ton of, of high-end pitchers, and I, I think that's the Mariners didn't either, for that matter. So, but it but seemed like a lot of their top young guys, they still sent to, you know, sent to AA, warmer climate, until the weather would get better. And, and you know, they passed through. And But uh, position players, yeah, I mean, we had, had a lot of guys. I mean, you know, the Johnny Moses, Dave Hengel, Jay Buhner, um, you know, those guys that, uh, you know, Dave Valley who caught for years for the Mariners as a, as a catcher. I think he might have been a catch, the catcher on that team for that matter. And, you know, some of those guys that, yeah, it, uh, yeah it's pretty interesting to watch, you know, watch that crew of guys go through and, and they were all so talented. And, um, I think I remember watching Tartable the year that uh, right after Ken Seiko had got called up to, to Tacoma and they came into town. And of course, all the talk was the two, you know, home run kings, triple A home run guy and the double A home run guy, and what it was going to look like, and knowing the way the ball flew out of them out of there, and had some guy named Mark McGuire playing first base for them too <laughs> at that time that could hit the ball a little bit. And, but Tartable and and Ken Seiko put on a clinic that weekend. It was like the two of them they, they were marking their territory, and each of them hit three home runs in that four game set, and it seemed like each one went further than the last and. The uh, the last two were on the same day, and Tartable or uh, Canseco hit a line drive right off the top of the scoreboard. But I mean, it was still climbing when it hit hit the scoreboard. It was just a rocket. It got out so fast, and, and I'm thinking that's got. I mean, I don't know that I'll ever see a home run hit further than that. And then two innings later, Tartable hit one left center field that hit the top bank of lights in left center field and bounced off the lights so hard that it ricocheted back and just about landed in the infield. It landed about 10 feet short of the, the apron and shortstop. That's how hard it went off the lights, how hard it was still climbing when it went out. And, but, yeah, watching those two guys go at it. But yeah, it was pretty pretty neat. But I guess the Mariners, just because we had so many guys go through uh, over the years that uh, that ended up going on and having really good major league careers. So you, you've talked about a bunch of uh... – pretty big time players that uh, were in Calgary in the infield there and you know one of the one of the biggest time players ever is uh, A-Rod you guys had him in there for for about a month and, and that was right before you guys switched affiliations in the next yeah. season in 95 so do you, do you have an A-Rod story from, from his, his stint in Calgary is there probably for about a month month and a half yeah it's probably it's just ironically it's not even a baseball story it's more about I mean, I think A-Rod's drive to be the best was which, what made him such a good ball player, but also what got him into trouble. <clears throat> and he was driven at everything to, to be the best. And I, they used to, you know, Dad used to take the guys golfing quite a bit in the morning, and they'd go upstairs, have lunch, and then the guys would, would head to the yard for break from the golf course. And uh, Alex, would they'd finish the round, and he'd have one of the guys order for him, and they'd go upstairs, and they'd go upstairs, and Dad's look around and goes, well, where's Alex? And, and the guys point out the window, and he's out at the driving range hitting balls after the round because he wanted to get, and he wasn't a very good golfer at that time. He wasn't awful, but, you know, he was a you know, mid-teens handicap. And so the next year at spring training, my mom and Dad were down there, and they were out for dinner in a restaurant, and all of a sudden, Dad feels this bear hug around him from behind, and, and uh turns them around and, and it's Alex standing there he goes, Russ, Russ, pass me my handicap. All right, Alex, what's your handicap? And he holds up two fingers. So he'd scratched it down to a two handicap in a year because he was just so driven to be the best at everything he did. 
and uh, ultimately, like I said, what made him so good, but also what got him into trouble. Wow. Yeah. And and you kind of knew he was getting, like, he was, he rocketed through that organization. Yeah. Well, he's got, I mean, he, he just looks like a ball player, right? I mean, he's got that build, same as, as same as Griffey. I mean, when, when Junior, we thought, you know, we were going to get him for a while, and then he went and hit 15 home runs in <laughs> spring training and decided to, just to bypass Calgary altogether. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, another really, you know, neat guy when we, when we had our junior A team in Kelowna and we had our league meetings in, uh, in Surrey one year and, and the Mariners were home. So I had met junior at spring training the year before through some of our other guys. And, you know, I was older then, so, you know, we went out and had a couple beers and visit and he was along and he's a great guy and just enjoyed hanging out with all of them and, and uh, so the next year we went down we drove down from Surrey for the ball game that night I took our our coaches down and, and Colin Ruck and, and Jimmy Hammett and Jim's uh, Jim's actually the assistant GM in Spokane now so uh, we went down and passes and sent downstairs of course we walk into the, the players the family lounge afterwards and all of the wives who I knew real well are all coming over and giving me a hug and of course these two guys are looking at me going okay who are all these gorgeous women coming over and giving you a hug and why and so I'm kind of chuckling and then we go into the into the clubhouse and having a visit with the guys and all of a sudden from behind I get lifted up and it's Junior picking me up and dropping me down what the F are you doing here in town and I said we were at the meetings up in, in D.C. and we drove down for the game so I said well, I'll, I'll catch up with you tomorrow so I'm going for dinner with my dad and I said, I'm not here tomorrow, and he's gone. And, you know, we ended up going out with you know, a couple of the other guys. But it was just really neat, you know, again, the perfect example of a guy that just that got it, that understood, and and uh, was, you know, was really, it was pretty cool to kind of be around. And, you know, I think back and, you know, talking about it really makes you kind of remember back how lucky and how fortunate you were. Some of the guys you got to meet and, and be around and, you know, even going back to the expo days, you know, we – I remember coming home from school one day, walked into the house at, at lunch, and, and uh, there used to be a show in Calgary, a sports show, and it was called the Sports Page, if I remember right. And, and uh, we had uh, uh, Al Oliver had come into town to, I think it was the Booster Club dinner he was speaking at, and then he was going to do this Sports Page show. And you know, I, I loved the Expos at that time, and, and Scoop was one of my favorite players. And, and uh, so I walk into the kitchen one day, come cruising in at lunch in high school and walk in. And there's Al Oliver sitting at my kitchen table having lunch with my mom and dad. And I just, I froze. It's like, oh my God, this is not actually happening. And he's got the big gold chain on with Scoop hanging down out of his sweater. And those one of those multicolored sweaters, you remember? <laughs> those being the, that the, with all the rage, those merino wool, 18,000 different colored sweaters on. And, yeah, so it was pretty cool over the years. It uh, brings back lots of good memories to talk about it. That, that's what I love about uh, junior sports in general, whether it's hockey or you know baseball and you know junior or minor sports. When you watch guys uh, get to where they go to, and you you get you got to see them uh, at the beginning, and and that that's what I love so much about junior hockey, especially. But w- what do you remember about the first time you heard of or you saw? Jim Abbott, uh, pitch who obviously uh, had a, a missing right hand, but went on to a successful mm-hmm. major league career through a no hitter. What do you remember about that? I remember him before he got to us, uh, but watching him in person was was remarkable. It, it, I don't know any other way to describe it. I mean, 
there, there's guys that have two working limbs that didn't field their position as well as he did with one. Uh, and to watch him work, um, it was remarkable. Uh, I, I, it, honestly, one of the most remarkable sporting accomplishments in my in my estimation that that there's ever been to, to pitch in the major leagues with with one arm and, and to do the things it's just phenomenal. Uh, so I, I can count myself very fortunate to have been able to watch it and and uh, and see uh, see him go through and do that. He, you know, he was the first million dollar athlete in Calgary. Really? Because he was getting he yep because he was getting paid a million dollars when he came when he came into Calgary. Uh, but uh, yeah, he was the first million dollar athlete in Calgary sports history. Wow, that's a that's a great accomplishment for for Jim Abbott. On top of the fact of you know what he was able to to accomplish as a player, um, just special. And, and speaking of special, I mean, you know, we touched on this a little bit earlier about how many special players you, know, you guys had in Calgary over the years. Um, you know, the the most recent kind of Hall of Fame connection to Calgary, Edgar Martinez. Um, you guys had him. Did, did you see him as being that level of a player? Uh, would he when he was in Calgary? You know, d- defensively, he was just average. He worked hard to get better at it. Uh, but as a hitter, could never understand the first couple times he went up why he didn't hit at the next level. And then, you know, it just it just kind of clicked. So, so to sit there and say I thought he'd be a Hall of Famer, no, uh, wasn't shocked one bit that he made himself into the player uh, that he that he is. And he... You know, a lot of times guys would get sent down and they had 48 hours and they would take 47 and a half before they reported. Um, just what they did. And he was the opposite. If they told him in, in Seattle after the game on a Thursday night, um, he'd be on playing the next morning and be in Calgary. And he was always, you know, we always have this, oh, he was the first guy on the ice. He was the first guy on the field. He, he was always the first guy on the field and he would come out and he would get the, the net. And we always knew that when Edgar was in town, we always had to make sure the T and, and soft tea, soft toss net was up. And uh, he would take a bucket of balls before anything. First thing he did every day was he'd hit a full bucket of balls off the tee. And he'd just go and he'd go through and he'd go through the ball up high, that ball down low, away, in. And he'd go through a full bucket. And then he'd take a full bucket of soft toss before he and then he'd start going to take round balls and then he'd get into batting practice and, and if it was optional batting practice he was always out there and it was the same thing every time so he was a professional hitter and uh, he studied pitchers and he studied their habits and he and he just had such a great eye at the plate such quick hands but but he worked at it and uh, it didn't come by accident that's for sure so we've talked a lot about some uh, superstar players and, and maybe one of them falls into this cal- category but do you have a favorite Calgary Cannon, uh, uh, one player that, that, for whatever reason, you enjoyed watching more than others? Oh, probably as a, as, a, as a guy to watch, um, there was probably nobody better than Omar Fiscal. I mean, he'd make plays every night that the average fan sitting up there had no idea how good a play it was. And he made tough plays look routine 
Um, and he just had such a such a childhood exuberance for the game too. Like it was always smiling, and he always had just that life and, and energy to him that uh, um, that made him fun to watch. You know, he was. Uh, you know, I, Johnny Moses would be another guy who was our center fielder for a couple of years and, and played in Seattle. And and Johnny could just flat out outrun a ball. He, he'd go get it. He's like Kevin Pillar kind of is now, where he'd just, I mean, he'd go get a ball in the gap and complete disregard for his body. And <laughs> and uh, so those two guys come come to mind for sure as uh, just as, as, you know, guys that worked hard and, and and uh, were fun to watch and just had an energy for the game. So we we kind of fast forward now into 2001 and, and uh, the decision to to sell the franchise and Albuquerque is, is the, the future home of the Cannons and what's known as the Isotopes now. Um, and so the sale was completed in 01, but you guys ended up playing another year in Calgary before the team moved in 02. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, what was that like knowing that this is the, this is the final round that it was, it's like, uh, you know, retirement parade. So some, some of the pro athletes have said, you know, and announced my retirement to start of the year and play out the year and they're celebrated everywhere they go. What was mm-hmm. that like for you guys in Calgary with everyone knowing that that was going to be it? I think in some respects, especially for my parents, I think it was easier because they they kind of had been beating their head against the wall and going through so much that there had now was some finality to when it was you know it was over. They didn't have to fight with city hall anymore. They didn't have to battle on all that stuff. They just you know I'd go to the ballpark and dad could sit down in his seats and have his cigar and just enjoy the ball game. And um, so I think there was there was a little bit of that that, that uh, made it better in some regards and then uh, you know I think um, it really didn't it, it didn't play out kind of like a like a farewell tour in some respects I think it was just it was time and we knew dad knew that it couldn't go on that way and um, you know, for me I was back and forth I was there some I was in Kelowna at that point with the hockey team too so I was back and forth so I, I wasn't around it as much but I felt for for me, I was glad. I, you know, I was obviously there for the final weekend, and I still remember, you know, being out out on the field at twelve thirty or one in the morning after that last game, and it was such a wild ball game. And, and um, sitting out in left left field, we had the the tent down the left field line, the beer gardens, and and uh, group area that we used to have. And I remember just, just kind of being out in the left field and in cell territory, playing catch with, with my son Casey was. He was six at the time, and and just that was sort of that's my final memory of it, and it really sort of came back full circle, right? Because that's about the time that I started hanging out at the ballpark. So for me, that's probably the part that I regret or miss is the fact that he kind of missed out on on going through and being able to experience some of those cool things that that I got to experience over the years. But but it was certainly. I think there was a, a case that everybody knew it was that it was just sort of time, and that that everything had been done. Mom and Dad had done everything that they could to to make it work, and it just wasn't going to happen. 
Well, at least you guys had a better, uh, like you guys kind of did the Bruce Bochy tour of, uh, you know, going to, you know, your, your parents were able to enjoy those baseball games for, for what they were. The reason they got into this is probably they enjoyed baseball. So, and, and your final game, much better than the final game in Edmonton, the, the final trapper game, I was at it. It was rained out. They didn't even get to play the game. So it was so anticlimactic, but you, your final game was just a, a crazy one versus Edmonton. And I'd like you to tell us a little bit about that. And, and also what the battle of Alberta on the baseball field was like, we've obviously seen it on the football field and on the hockey ice. What was it like on the diamond? You know, it certainly wasn't as intense. Uh, you know, I don't think in a lot of cases, obviously, baseball doesn't lend itself to that anyway. So it wasn't nearly as, as intense. And certainly, you know, I know how much respect my dad had for and still has, you know, had for Mel Kowalchuk and how much he helped uh, us get our team, you know, in Calgary. And uh, so that was, you know, led to obviously not having the, the, the ill will or, or whatnot. And, and most of those guys obviously not being Canadians and not being from the area. They, they didn't know the history between Calgary and Edmonton, but yeah, that final game, I mean, it's the thing I remember. And I mean, I going back and forth and, and uh, the whole night and, you know, the, the, the come from behind and it just, it, it was a, it was a pennant clinchy night or a, or a championship game. It just, the, the ebbs and flows and the emotion everybody just seemed to be in a good mood it was, it was like it was like a celebration of of all the years of baseball in calgary that and that's really it was just like a giant party right from the right from the time the gates opened everybody everybody coming in it was just such a such a cool vibe in the stadium and, you know it was uh yeah that's a to come from behind and, and win it in the bottom of the ninth like that was just uh, was really was really cool, you know. To, to, it just went out, you know. It just closed things the way I guess you would really hope that you could, you know. Just it was such a positive, great memory, and as I said, for me to be able to you know, share it with you know, with my son, be out there and enjoy that experience with him, and and look back on it, and I still got I've got first base downstairs and a few other little artifacts that I've kept over the years. But that's one that, that for me is, uh, is a pretty cool one that I've kept and I never, I never cleaned it up. You know, I was painted the bases every night and it's still, it's scuffed up and got some of the old paint still on it. And I never touched it. I just, I put it on a mantle that I've got downstairs and the only thing that's there with it actually is a George Brett rookie card leaning up against it. So that tells you how, how much it means to me. Yeah, that's awesome, and and you know we kind of delve into what's going on in, in Major League Baseball this year, and you know for your for your mantle, I'm sure that you would love to be able to put up a fantasy baseball championship trophy. Um, I know that's something that Dean has been has been working towards himself at accomplishing. <laughs> I'm not sure if he'll he be able to get there, especially in our prospect based fantasy baseball league. Um, I'm in that league as, as well as another. Uh, Bright young GMs of fantasy baseball. Um, <laughs> Brent, what's what's going to happen here this year in, in MLB? What's your take? Are they going to get a half season in? Are they going to come to terms on some money? What are we going to see? Are we going to get some fantasy baseball this year? I think so. Um, I think they can get a half a season in. Um, 
it seems to be, you know, now that you see games being played in the Korean League and the Asian Leagues, I think you'll see that be the precursor for them to sort of say, okay, it can work. Um, I think it's way easier for them to do uh, than what they're trying to do with the NBA and the NHL. Um, and I'm a sports fan. I think we all want to see some kind of sports back right now, but I'm not a big proponent of the, of the NHL and NBA returning this year. Quite honestly, I think I would just see them shut it down for the year and, and get ready for, for next year. That's just my own, my own opinion. But, um, but I do think major league baseball will be back. I, I, I just kind of have in my head that, that, you know, that Canada Day, July 4th time frame that, that, that might be when we, when we see them come back. Um, and I think it'd be nice to, you know, maybe you start seeing a way where they can introduce fans back into the, into the stadiums. Maybe it's their, you know, they use every, every third row or, you know, something of that nature where they've got a, you know, you only sell, maybe it's 5,000 tickets a night or something. And you just have to be, they just stay, you know, distance away from each other. I don't know how, how you do it, but I do believe there'll be baseball. All right, let's end with this. Uh, you guys had an affiliation with the Montreal Expos. Uh, you know, you, you know, as a young kid, you were able to play catch with uh, Tim Wallach and, and the like. That's pretty cool. What do you think the likelihood of Major League Baseball returning to Montreal is? I think it'll happen. I, I really do. Um, I don't know if it's going to be soon, but I, but I do believe it'll happen. Um, you know, I, they're going to need to build a ballpark of some kind. Uh, you know, they can't go back into Olympic Stadium. Obviously, that's why they left, or a big portion, part of why they left. <clears throat> but I do believe baseball will go back there, and I believe it'll be successful. Um, I think I don't know that there's ever been a, a stronger time for for baseball in our country in terms of uh, you know both our production of of players and our ability to compete at the you know internationally and and what have you. But I I just think there's a there's a a love for the game that's there now, and I you know the Blue Jays certainly have fostered some of that and. Um, more access to the game and academies and you know Canadian kids going down and playing college ball and, and gosh when I when I went down there I did, I didn't know know well there's one one other kid and I can't think of his name he's from Lethbridge he's a third baseman too that those are the only two kids me and him that I knew that of Canadians that were down playing college baseball in the states and I mean now there's you know, tons of kids you know and all these different programs and the provincial programs and getting opportunities and then getting the opportunity to, you know, to come up and play in the, you know, these college leagues that are up here now. And we didn't have anything like that when I was playing. I mean, my, my work in the, in the summer to get ready to go back was, was at the ballpark. I, I was working on the ground screw. So I'd work on the ground screw up until batting practice time. I'd rip in, go in, I had in the locker downstairs. I'd go change, put on my, my gear and I'd go out and, shag balls in the outfield and take round balls at third base and get in and, you know, take my cuts and stand and talk hitting with Edgar at the tee or, or whoever was there. Like, that's, you know, that's how I got, that's how I got ready for the, for the next year. Now, now we didn't have those opportunities. So I think because of all those things, I think it's going to give a real opportunity for, for baseball to be successful when it comes back to Montreal. 
Well, and, and you brought up a really good point, and and I'll just mention this last thing is that that's why I think leagues like the Western Canadian Baseball League are so important and and can thrive. I mean, we we, we talked Brent about all the challenges of a pro baseball team. Uh, in Alberta specifically, but in Canada in general. I mean, major league teams, uh, other than Vancouver, because it's close to some other areas, don't want to deal with a lot of teams in Canada. And that's why I think the WCBL, that college league, is not only good for the local communities, but also for, you know, flooding the NCAA with more baseball players. Absolutely. And as I said to you, I mean, and this isn't meant as negative statement, but let's be honest, there's a lot of people that, that... Really don't know the difference in the cal- in the caliber between a you know a full season full season A you know caliber player and a you know a good NCAA player and it's and it's not a huge huge gap difference. I mean there is a gap, but most people don't know. I mean they're going to the games in a lot of cases to to be entertained. It's a night out. It's it's a nice night nice thing to do on a on a beautiful you know summer night and go and have some you know ice cream with the kids and take them to the ballpark and do all of those things and that's that's the reason behind you know you know why why it was successful and why it was you know a shame when it when it left um, so yeah i mean enjoy enjoy that league for what it is it's a, it's a good league it's entertainment and, and there's some good young players there that that uh chance to hone their skills at home and go on and you know, hopefully become that next generation of of ball players that, you know, in Canada that, you know, help you said help kinda flood the NCAA and, and put more guys in, in the majors so that, you know, we can continue to enjoy it. But um, and I and obviously the more more players that you know that we've got playing majors, the more interest it drives to the game and more interest, better chance it has for, you know, a team like Montreal and, and Toronto as much as I loads the Blue Jays. I don't <laughs> want to see them, uh, you know, leave either. Brent, this has been a lot of fun. Uh, again, I've I've enjoyed our uh, relationship. I love talking hockey, and uh, this is the first chance that we've actually had a chance to talk baseball, so I really enjoyed it. So thanks so much for joining us on the show today. Um, hopefully things get back to normally. We can watch live sports, and, you know, as much as you hate the Blue Jays, I am watching the 92 World Series where they beat the Braves. Uh-huh. There's only so many of these games I can I can keep watching knowing the outcome. I want to, uh-huh. and I started watching the Korean Baseball League uh, the other day just to have something to watch that I didn't know the outcome of. So hopefully we get back to that and we can all enjoy it. And, and thanks so much for joining us. Guys, my pleasure. And uh, it's been a lot of fun. I've enjoyed uh, having the chance to talk a little baseball. Don't get to do it enough. And I and, uh, really enjoyed it. Yeah, thanks for coming on, Brian. This was great. Appreciate it, man. Anytime. Love to do it again. Let's get back to the action. This is the Prospects Baseball Show. Awesome conversation with Brent Parker. Um, just some of the names, uh, th- th- you know, kind of reminds me of our chat with Sam Cosentino where I'm like, I want to have another conversation to get to the names we didn't talk to. Hey, eh? like some of those names and the stories. And, you know, I love how he would tell stories of how, you know, a guy like A-Rod would, you know, have such fond memories from a place he spent 30 days at. Yeah, no, uh, a, a lifetime's worth of stories. I mean, what, what a cool cool life to have lived there and, and being involved in baseball and then hockey and 
that was awesome to have Brent on. I uh, really appreciate him, him sharing some of the, those stories with us. Yeah, all right. And before that, we heard another the gambler from Hats Off to Roy Halliday. Um, I, I love the line, Charlie hustles in the garbage can. Uh, because, you know, Pete Rose, man, this guy was like, he had the the reputation as you want this guy in your team. And then it quickly changed so much where, you know, people just wanted nothing to do with him. Yeah, Charlie Hustle, man. He, he was nailed. He played hard. That's, that's the quality that you're looking for in every player you come across nowadays. That's, that's never changing. Yeah. He was the epitome of that. Yeah, he was he was absolutely beautiful. All right, let's get into our top five. Play ball, and this is uh, five current Major League Baseball home run derby candidates. We saw the match. Uh, well, some people saw the match. It was hard to find um, between Tiger and Phil and Peyton and Brady. Uh, so, if we were going to do um, made for TV event for baseball fans, and it's a home run derby. Five guys you would want to see. Uh, hit us up on Twitter at Prospects Pod at EDM Prospects at Jordan Blundell 4, at Duck Millard. Give us your thoughts. Jordan, the floor is yours. Start at number five. Number five, I'm, I'm bringing in uh, Vladdy Jr. Self-explanatory there, Dino. That, yeah. that boy can flat out drop some bombs. The guy you didn't want, again. the guy you didn't want in the home run derby last year can go yeah. all out right now because there's no baseball. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, what a show he put on last year, and it's crazy. He didn't even win that derby. And yeah. I think that name will come up here in a little bit. Number four, I got uh, Cody Bellinger. Uh, for me, he's got the nicest swing in the game. I love it. Um, I love watching him hit. That bat speed, the, the launch. Um, I got to have Belly there. I love watching him hit. Number three, I got Ronald Acuna. Mm-hmm. Um Man, he, he's exciting. So maybe a young man, Ramirez in the making. Uh, man, he's awesome. He's got so much pop in that bat. Um, and flair and rhythm to his swing. I love watching him. I got to have him there. Number two, I got the polar bear, Pete Alonzo. Just so happens to be the linchpin of my fantasy team. Um, he had 50 last year. He won the derby. He's glad in, in, in the derby. Uh, Dude, man, he's got some big time power. Uh, gotta have him there. I mean, he's a he's a reigning home run derby champion, so that's a no doubter, no brainer. And uh, number one, I got B Hart. He's also a fantasy keeper for me. I, I like that left. I needed another lefty in there. Um, I I I feel like Bryce Harper is on the cusp of improving his already stellar numbers. I know that there's some. Bryce Harper. Haters out there, perhaps. His numbers have always been good. He's had an MVP. Um, some of the video I've seen of what where he's at right now, as far as his swing, uh, the maturation that he's he's the, the the trajectory he's on right now. He's cleaned some things up. He's shorter to the ball. He does it easier now. Uh, I expect big things for Bryce Harper coming out when we get to play again. And he's one of my favorite guys. Plays hard. Get the nose grubby. Uh, went to Philly. Chose to go to Philly. Tough market to go in there. He's like, I want to go to Philly. I want to play in Philly. I love their fans. I love that about them. 
That's my five, Dino. What do you got? I can't believe you put a guy who's hit 40 home runs once in his career ahead of a guy who hit 53 last year in his rookie season. Like, I, I, I think you're, you're, you're blinded by the star power here. <laughs> maybe, maybe I might be. Uh, and listen, I don't think I think Bryce Harper, if he ever went in a home run derby, would do would do pretty well as well. Um, I, I went number five. I'm going with Jock Peterson. You know, a, a Dodger that. They almost didn't have, right? And and they uh, kind of gets overlooked. Uh, but against, especially against right-handers, this guy has some real pop in his bat. So I'd like to see Jock Peterson. I think he had 36 last year. Um, you know, it, this lineup, uh, if the Dodgers ever get to play again, gives him some sweet protection. So I'd like to see him. Um, four for me, Nolan Arenado, a guy that Brent Parker uh, talked about. I mean, he, he said all the stuff that I that I need to say about this guy. Uh, power, pop, um, and and what do you think? Do you think Arenado, if he was playing in New York, Boston, or L.A., would be on the tips of the tongues of uh, some of the great baseball players in Major League Baseball right now instead of me maybe being an afterthought because he's in Colorado? Yeah, you're probably right, you know. I mean, for me, Nolan Arenado is one of the top players in the game. So um, it, it, it doesn't matter for me where he's playing. You're probably right. He, he would get more play if he's in Boston, New York. That dude's special, man. And on top of that, outside the derby, he's a perennial gold glover. Yeah. Like the, the best defender. So he's a big time player, man. I love him. Yeah. And you know what? The double-edged sword. You take him out of Colorado, he gets more popular. Do the home run numbers drop? It's uh, It is a factor for some players. The third guy on my list is Giancarlo Stanton. Uh, I, I think that this guy, when healthy, can just mash the ball, and I'd love to see him uh, do that in this kind of environment where he's uh, you know fully rested. And that goes for my number two guy as well. Are you ready for me to drop number two on you? Uh-oh. I'm going, yeah, I hear it. I'm going with the parrot, double E. I want to see Edwin. <laughs> he hit 36 last year in an injury-shortened uh, season. I think this guy could step in there with all these young studs and be like, look, wait, what's the parrot here? I'm going to hit like 20 bombs in this round. I would love to see a rested double E rip some out of a ballpark against these young guys. <laughs> I love it. All right. My number one guy, kind of to your Harper, Mike Trout. A guy that, you know, is perennially up in the uh, home run totals. I think he had 40 some last year uh, and missed a bunch of the season. Or maybe he didn't quite get to 40 last year. But uh, another guy that probably doesn't go in home run derbies, talked about as the best all around game. And, and one of those parts is power. It's not like his power. Uh, suffers because he's trying to hit over 300. Uh, so I would love to see what Mike Trout could do in a derby. No, no doubt. I mean, I just left him off because it's a Mike Trout. He's, he's the greatest ever. Like he just probably should have him in. If, if MLB actually does this, you have to have Mike Trout in. Right. Yes, you do. Um, I, I love like, I love him. He, he's above everyone else for sure. So. Uh, that's a yeah, no brainer, dude. I, I love it. But you're probably not seeing Harper and Trout in these derbies because they're more worried about trying to get to the playoffs. And and I kind of respect that. But in this made for TV moment, you know, you you can throw all that aside, right? This is this might be the only way you'll see a Trout or Harper in a derby. Well, and you know what, you know, I think because of this, you almost have to go top six because you got to have that one versus six, three, four. And, and play it in. So, uh, yeah, I'd have Trout. Trout would probably sneak onto my top six. 
All right, there we go. All right, that's going to wrap <laughs> things up for us on this show. Great stories from Brent Parker. Big thanks to him uh, for joining us. Uh, Jordan, I'm really excited about the future of the prospects in Spruce Grove and the ability to, you know, just sim city this uh this thing and 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 i and i know you have the podcast uh right front and center right beside fantasy baseball so there should be a podcast studio and there should also be a fantasy baseball area that we can all uh congregate in so i know you'll work on that with the new stadium but uh onward and upwards in spruce grove looking forward to it and you know hopefully we get some local baseball and some mlb baseball here uh by next week's episode maybe we're talking about some good news yeah, no doubt. It's uh, Fantasy Baseball Internet Cafe. So you can be just right to the door. Uh, it'll be easy access to the home clubhouse. <laughs> Don't worry, Dino. I'm on top of that. Yeah, make sure you can access it from the dugout so you can quickly just check in and check your scores during the game because that's what we all are all about is fantasy. Yeah, in between innings, you know, the managers left, uh, left yeah, the dugout. So, shorted. You know, there's a There's a late start on the West Coast. The game got delayed. I got a chance to maybe get a different starter in there <laughs> where's jordan he's checking his scores okay well just tell the guy to take the first pitch then yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> good stuff my man i enjoyed this conversation uh with brent and us and uh, i hope uh, we have some good news in the next little while stay safe stay healthy try to enjoy some sun like we're gonna get for the next couple of days and we'll chat soon chat soon my buddy you as well dino stay safe brother good uh, talk all talk right th- there is only one thing left to do ban the shift. It's gone. It's a grand slam. And that's the ball game.